0: The bad guy in Breaking Bad, Gustavo Fring, is named after.
1: Hello and welcome to the World Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. So that is that. The January transfer window is as close as the American borders, and all we're left with is football. Yeah, I know, but the beginning of February does bring one positive note, alcohol, the cause and solution to all of life's problems. Yes, your dry January is over and done with, and given that this planet is on a highway to hell in a handbasket, we might just need it. Here to talk about all of that and more is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Nico Durbin, Hello, both key players in the One Football Newsroom. Before we get started, let me insert our usual plea to the listeners. Please go to iTunes, please search for the One Football Podcast, please leave a comment, and please leave a rating to let us know how we're doing. This something I learned when I moved to, Janu- uh, moved to January, when I moved to Germany, Nico. This dry January thing, which I thought was a fixed part of life around the world, or certainly life as I know it around the world, doesn't exist in in Germany.
2: Mm, it's not a thing. I mean, because we usually have our dry um, period um, mm. before Easter. Oh, that's interesting. You know, so we do have a fast actually before Easter. Right. And um, that's also basically it's the six weeks after Carnival. So that's especially big in the regions where you do celebrate Carnival.
1: Okay. Which right.
2: would be the southwest of Germany,
1: and it's almost like you take a reasonable approach to alcohol. Uh, you don't just overindulge like us in the Isles, eh, Lewis? Yeah, that that happens at home. It does happen at home, doesn't it? Anyway, dry January has led to a February, a February that perhaps sees the end of the Premier League title race. Uh, so let's talk about that. Arsenal lost to Watford's. Spurs drew at Sunderland, and Liverpool failed to beat Chelsea. Lewis, is it is it all over? Yes. Okay. I don't don't, don't dust it. You don't want more on that, do you? <laughs> a little bit more. You could expand um, a little.
0: Well yeah. Chelsea are a considerable way clear of the pack. Uh the the entire pack. So
1: It's nine points now?
0: Yeah, nine points with what about fifteen games to go. Yeah, fifteen games to go, yeah. It seems very unlikely someone's gonna make that up, but I, Think the fact that there are so many top clubs in the Premier League now, there are, what you'd say six teams who would have aspirations of winning the title, means even a run of we've seen in the past teams have gone and won ten, eleven games in a row towards the end of the season and got on a charge. Um, but Arsenal, Liverpool, United, Spurs, City all have to play each other pretty much still. Mm-hmm. So going on a run where you're going to have to beat four probably title contenders and Chelsea um, to win the league now. And that seems really, really unlikely.
1: If you were to give hope to any of the followers of those clubs, who would you go for?
0: It's hard to even pick one. Maybe Liverpool because they don't have any other competition. It's just the Premier League. They can plough all their resources into that.
1: Okay, sounds like you're trolling Liverpool there.
0: I'm just saying that they can really concentrate on the league. What a benefit they have.
1: Uh, so let's talk about, uh, I mean, a lot of very boring results last night. But one of the more interesting ones was uh, Arsenal and their defeat to Watford. Here is what one of their fans thought about it.
0: Fucking 2-0 down, only 15 minutes gone against fucking Watford. Wenger, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, Lewis, do they have every right to be as angry as that fan last night? Um, Arsenal fans, obviously have some right to be angry, but they don't have the right they feel they have to win every single game either. It was the first home defeat since the opening day of the season. Um, So if you're going to go absolutely mental every time the team loses a home game after a run of 10 or so home games without losing, then you just come across as a bit entitled eventually. I, I I think Arsenal... Should be happy, obviously, with losing at home against Watford and collapsing in the opening 20 minutes of the game. But at the same time, this is a title race or a a race for the top four, if you want to say that now. We've already decided Chelsea have won the league. And there are six teams. There are six teams that want to win the league and there are six teams that want to finish in the top four. So naturally, two will be very disappointed, or five will be very disappointed of the six come the end of the season. Um. At the same time, Arsenal aren't performing to their capability, which is the least you would ask or what you would expect or hope for. Um, Key players aren't performing well. There's a misbalance. So I think there's a right to be frustrated, but to go crazy every single time the team drops points, which is what happens now. And it's not just Arsenal, it's other clubs as well. Every time there is any bad result or bad performance from a single player, um, people go mad and it's all very reactionary.
1: You say that there are some players who are not uh, performing to their standard. Uh, Name names. Is it Olivier Giroud?
0: Is it Aaron Ramsey? (laughs) uh, from, um, From Tuesday night, I would mention Alexis Sanchez. What? Um, since Olivier Giroud's coming to the side, Alexis has played from the left, and from the left he's very predictable. Um, I don't quite understand why he's never used on the right-hand side instead, where he can go for goal but also more likely to run down the flank now and then, and a full-back can get turned inside out. From the left, as a right-back, you'd fancy your chances of knowing what he's going to do, even if you still can't stop it every single time. Um, and teams sort of double up on him, and then he goes on a one-man mission to try and save everything. Um, It's lovely, and I think he gets away with it a bit because people see the effort he puts in, and then if he gives the ball away 15 times, they can see he's getting the ball 16 times, and he's really putting everything in. But I'd say on Tuesday, for a player who is demanding a club record, so we we all believe, a club record wage Mm -hmm. for a player that is probably in the the top five or considered in the top three or five in the whole premier League um whether or not he always delivers or gets away when he, with it when he doesn't deliver, Meza Ozil, for example, or Aaron Ramsey, you mentioned Olivier Giroud can all have great runs of form and then they have one or two bad games and people are on their backs instantly. Um, Alexis has the luxury of not quite so much pressure.
1: Well, he's dug us so many holes uh, along the but way. But so have
0: the other players that we just mentioned, Giroud's just scored in every single game he started. It, like I think he just scored in nine Arsenal starts in a row and got subbed off at half-time yesterday when things got going well. Um, um, let's talk about Aaron
1: Ramsey. 19 minutes on the pitch. One off-shot target. No tackles, no interceptions. One injury. Cheered off by his own fans and at fault for two goals. Maybe off. he should stick to the modelling.
0: Cheered off by some fans. Oh, I don't know. Are you saying he's a good model?
1: I've seen him model. I think he models for... It's like Armani or Hugo Boss or one of those. He looks good. Better off the pitch than on uh, the pitch he's at the moment.
0: Now, so have a bit more time for that.
1: He uh, will, all right. The next, the next, He minutes. was, uh, he was one of the recipients of many of the fans' ire last night. Deservedly yeah. so.
0: Yes and no. I, I think Ramsey was partly a victim of coming off when the game was at its worst. Arsenal, were, Arsenal weren't going to keep conceding two goals every fifteen minutes, and he came off pretty much straight after. Um, the, the first goal took a deflection off him. It can happen, and the second goal, Ramsey's the guy who gave the ball away, but on the halfway line, and Watford then went forty yards unchallenged and scored. The, the ball wasn't in the box. The ball wasn't hitting the back of the net when Ramsey gave the ball away. Um, I think other players were more to blame for him for the goal than him. But he is a very divisive player. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if people... He had that fantastic season a few years ago before Mm -hmm. he got uh, between major injuries. Um, And I actually think people have a bit of disdain for him proving them wrong and not liking to look stupid. That's Um, odd. It's very odd. Um, And I think at the very root of... People disliking Ramsey is an enormous desire at Arsenal among fans for Jack Wilshire, the homegrown player, to succeed and the belief that they can't succeed in the same team together. And you'll find very common amongst Arsenal fans is you like Jack Wilshire or you like Aaron Ramsey and you only think one of them should ever play for the club, <laughs> uh, which is obviously ridiculous. <sighs>
1: God, every time I hear these sort of debates, I just want to facepalm. I, I,
0: yeah, I, th- I think, really, at the heart of the divisive nature of Ramsey and his form and his future at the club is how much you rate Jack Wilshere or how desperate you are for Wilshere to be a success.
1: I'd get rid of both of them. <laughs> I'm getting some proper midfielders. I'd also get rid of Francis Coquelin as well. Yeah, although he's I, not going anywhere. He's got a long-term contract. Francis
0: Coquelin has been given a new contract. Yeah, Arsenal have won 13 games. That he hasn't started this season. Just a coincidence. All thirteen. <laughs> there are thirteen games that he hasn't started, and the team has won all thirteen. They've <laughs> uh, they've won seven of the nineteen he has started, and I think there's a bit of a correlation. Just a coincidence. It's one it, of those glitches it, it, in the matrix. It, it, it may well be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we must all be wrong. They play
1: Chelsea next weekend at Stamford Bridge. Ah, it's not looking good, is it?
0: it it's not. Uh Neither. Are there
1: any positives going into this for Arsenal? <laughs>
0: um, it's the first game of the weekend so Arsenal fans can enjoy the rest of their weekend once <laughs> it's over. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles played in midfield in the FA Cup in, on Saturday and was assured and uh, encouraging performance. So with Ramsey injured and Oxlade-Chamberlain hobbling at the end of the game maybe Arsenal fans will get to watch 90 minutes of him alongside Coughlin Against the runaway league leaders.
1: With the best midfield in the league.
0: Yeah, and no Mustafi behind them.
1: What's wrong with Mustafi?
0: Uh, Mustafi had a quite serious looking clash of knees in injury time last night and spent the last four minutes of the game trying to get back to defend and couldn't. Uh, So there's no news yet, but we'll see if he manages to make it for the weekend.
1: Okay. Um, You also wanted to mention Leicester. Leicester who have taken just 21 points from 23 games this season the worst ever total by a reigning top flight champion it's not looking good. No. We were sort of I I remember when we were doing the preview podcasts we were sort of joking saying oh you know Leicester could possibly go down this season. It's actually looking like a po- it's really looking like a possibility now.
0: I looking at the table I'm wondering if Leicester winning the league is last season is what will actually get them relegated this season. Um, I think if Leicester were any other regular Premier League club, Claudio Ranieri would be very, very close to being sacked. I think they'd have done more in January. Um, And if you look at the sides below and around them, Hull have a new manager who's performing very well. Sunderland have gone and bought three players in the last day of the transfer window. Crystal Palace Um, have Crystal Palace have Sam Allardyce in charge Mm -hmm. and Paul Clements won three of his four games in charge at Swansea. They're the teams below Leicester, and I'd wonder if Leicester are not changing based on last season's performances, but actually, really could benefit from some change right now.
1: Okay, uh, yesterday was of course transfer deadline day. How was it for you? Thrilling. We were discussing this coming over about how rubbish it was.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It was really rubbish. When
1: Brady going to Burnley is the most interesting transfer of the uh, of the day, then you know it's. You know, it's been a bad one. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was really bad. Um, I think Scott Hogan was on the big steals of the day, a championship striker going from a mid-table club to another mid-table club, Mm -hmm. albeit a big one. Um, Yeah, uh, the clubs, I think, in England are getting smarter and wising up to the idea that, firstly, you should do your business earlier. Secondly, January buyers tend to be terrible value for money. And thirdly, they're not going to fix everything just by signing players at last minute and scrambling so yeah i i think we're seeing the end of sky's famous deadline day
1: but they have got a new bin that was keeping us all rather amused during the day
0: yeah the the vanquished rumors thrown in the bin and emojis used to represent how fans were feeling um (laughs) welcome to football in 2017
1: The start of the year has seen the start of a terrible run for Liverpool, a poor run of form in the league has seen their title hope slip away, two defeats to Southampton has cost them a place in the EFL Cup final and last weekend Wolves knocked them out of the FA Cup. Here to talk about all of that and more is Nina Kaiser from Anfield Index. Nina, let's start with the match against Chelsea uh, last night. What did you make of the performance? It was a vast improvement on recent games but there's still a sense of disappointment for Liverpool fans, right?
3: I think it was definitely a step in the right direction, certainly in the second half. I think we played with a bit more purpose, Um, we were of a bit more industry. Obviously, like you said, we're playing the league leaders. Uh, you know, they're a bit more, they're a lot more disciplined defensively, and you know, we knew it was going to be a big ask, especially with the results that you mentioned, three home losses on the bounce, which hasn't happened in a very long time. We were unbeaten at home. It was a massive ask, and uh, I actually thought when it was one nil. Um, it was a test of a uh, mentality uh, of, of the team and I thought they uh, handled themselves really well. I mean, we there was chances where we could have won it and at the same time we could have lost it with the penalty. So for me, it was a positive. It's certainly a step in the right direction. And obviously with Mane coming in, I think the setup's going to change and we'll see that hopefully that industry and that fluid kind of football that we're accustomed to as Liverpool fans.
1: Yeah, I know you're slightly biased now, Nina, but what did you make of the uh, the decision for the free kick and for the penalty?
3: Well, I was actually at, at the at the game, so um, I just had sort of one view of it. And uh, the free kick looked a little soft. I was actually more frustrated with uh, Samuel Mignolet for um, taking an age to set up his role. It was actually a comment I made in the stadium. He just seemed like he had, he thought he had way too much time than he actually had. That really frustrated me. And those kind of errors are the reason why we're conceding goals, individual errors you know, you need to be a bit more on the ball. It was actually embarrassing. And fair play to David Luiz and uh, Chelsea, you know, they they took full advantage of it. As for the penalty, um, I was actually in the stadium and it didn't look like a penalty to me. And uh, I thought Simon Mignolet uh, made up for um, for the previous, um, on the free kick, I thought he was um, great on the spot. I mean, it was a poor penalty by all accounts by uh, Diego Costa and also, then um, there was a bit of a nervy moment because we conceded a corner. We're not great on set pieces and we cleared that as well. So for me, he kind of redeemed himself somewhat. by I'm being told now that it was a penalty and uh, I got it wrong. But
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, is, is that it now for Liverpool's title bid? Like the failure to come away with the win there?
3: It just depends on uh, what Liverpool fans you speak to. I mean, even when we were on top of the league after we beat uh, Watford 6-1, um, I never really thought we had enough to be, um, you know, to actually win the title. I think there's teams with far more strength and depth, quality and experience of winning the league. I just think it was just really refreshing to see Liverpool in that conversation. And for me, what what really impressed me about Liverpool this season, if I sort of discount January, was um, the style of football. And I think it's certainly a step in the right direction. For me, we were never going to win the league. Top four was essential, and that's still pretty much on. But I think if you speak to the um, average Liverpool fan now, who thought we might have had a chance of winning the league, I think even they know um, it's well without. Um, we can't do it. Uh,
1: Nina, you say you were at the match last night, um, and there was obviously nothing. There was nothing unusual about Klopp turning to face the main stand and you know get a reaction from the supporters. But it seems like a few of them were having a, a bite back at him.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was actually sat on the opposite end. I was in the the, cent- the centenary. Uh, usually, I do sit in the main stand and. Uh, it can get a bit uh, quite negative in there. Uh, you know, fans are screaming uh, at players, demanding so much from them. It is a common occurrence, unfortunately, at Liverpool. It's certainly this month as well, where, you know, fans are getting frustrated with certain players. And, you know, I've witnessed it myself, where you can't, it becomes apparent which players are the scapegoats. And uh, I was I was actually at the Southampton uh, the game uh, against Southampton and you know there was um it was evident which players were getting a, a lot of abuse and which ones were sort of being pardoned and when it was collectively uh, a dreadful performance from all the team so yeah it, it is a common it is a common thing and I think it's something that Klopp probably isn't quite used to certainly coming from Dortmund uh, but the fans do bite back because I think they just um are just so frustrated with um how much off the cliff they have fallen.
1: Right, and and just for anybody who hasn't been to Anfield, the the sort of close knit nature of the ground means that the players and the staff can really hear everything that comes from the fans, isn't that right?
3: It, it does absolutely. I mean, you can really hear it, especially you know anyone that sat by. You know, I normally sit top of the end of the main stand, but at the bottom you, you hear everything, and I've I've sat you know not far from the dugout in the past as well, and. It is. You can hear instructions. You can hear players screaming at each other. You know, it is a bit surreal as an experience. And then, then at the same time, um, if, if players can't mentally block out what the fans are screaming, and some of our players are sort of guilty of this. I think Dejan Lovren can't block out the crowd. I think Adam Milana can't do that. You know, he... He absolutely crumbles against, you know, Southampton. Uh, you can really hear everything if you're not, una- if you're unable to block it out. And I think Klopp is uh, quite right to have a pop at um, the fans because sometimes it does become a little unnecessary. But then at the same time, you can understand fans' frustration. So it's six in one and half a dozen in the other. As long as you're, you know, you're partial and you know it's not completely unbiased, uh, I think I think you're okay.
1: We, we've mentioned the uh, the sort of disastrous January so far. That's certainly words that uh, Steve McMahon has used to describe it. Mm. Um, what was the? It just seems to come out of nowhere because it ended like December ended on a high with the win over Manchester City, and mm. then all of a sudden it just fell apart for Liverpool. Is it just then leaving, or is, is there, was there anything else there that it can be pinpointed on?
3: I mean, I think Mane was a a massive factor because, you know, he completely changed our attack. You know, with Mane, Firmino and Coutinho leading the line, that put Daniel Sturridge, who was, you know, our our saviour in terms of attacking Divock on the bench. We were sort of fluid in attack. We were interchangeable. Mane had this amazing skill. and not only at pace, but... Forcing defenders out wide, and as soon as Mane went to the Afcon, what you noticed was teams were setting up in two banks of four, and we couldn't break that. There was nobody in the middle to penetrate, running behind defenders. We became very obvious and predictable. As Soon as Mane come on against Chelsea, he even put in that he put in that gorgeous ball for Firmino. Unfortunately, he didn't get you know the clean header to you know make it two one. He is a massive threat. Also, another thing you need to um, factor in as well is. Fatigue, we've been playing the same system and the same eleven when they've been fit throughout the whole season. And I think fatigue has played a massive impact in that. And I think, you know, it's catching up on the players where they look mentally tired, physically tired. Injury has been a massive factor. And I know some fans won't like to hear me say this, but I think now, with the lack of football, I I think we might go back to playing that. Style of football again. I think now they'll have that recovery period because it was a massive concern for Jurgen Klopp And last season, when we were actually still in the EFL Cup and the FA Cup, players looked tired, immensely exhausted. And again, that is a lack of rotation. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. You know, we're all sat here and saying now that, oh, Kropp should have rotated. He should have. He doesn't have a big enough squad. He should have spent in the transfer window. All those factors have contributed to the poor dipping form. Because even that impressive win against Man City, they actually looked absolutely broken in the second half, really tired.
0: Yeah, Nino, you just answered the question I was about to ask. Is if Klopp should have gone and done something in January, because he said himself after the was it the Sunderland game that there wasn't yeah. enough space between the FA Cup and then the Sunderland game, and then he went and played nine of the same eleven again.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny because um, as local fans, I mean, I know you guys will probably always look at Andy Carroll as one of the worst January buys, but local are actually quite stabbing in the January window. You know, we bought you know Suarez, Coutinho, stories, you know, massive players. You know, we've, we've actually done some good business. But I think the difference here is, you know, some people are blaming FSG. Like, are they actually letting Jurgen Klopp spend with a positive um, turnaround from, from the summer? Is it FSG? Is it Klopp being stubborn? Um, I think what you need to remember is Liverpool have been very, very um, effective in the January window in the past. But then if you look at a coach, say like Jurgen Klopp, I think he really likes a pre-season with players. And that's evident, you know, because we we were on the tour with them, LFC, in the summer over in the States, and you could really see what he was trying to do with the team. And I think maybe he thought, I don't have enough time to coach the players or the players that he wanted are actually available. So I think, you know, you can make whatever you want of it. And uh, even against Bournemouth, when we lost and people were screaming for subs, and he actually said, I couldn't turn to the youngsters on the bench. Clear indication that this squad is not deep enough, it's not strong enough, you know, there isn't suitable, adequate reserves when the team gets injured. However, on the flip side, when we were playing great football at the beginning of the season, the bench looked really strong. You had the likes of, say, Clavan, Mignolet, Sturridge, Origi, Winnie Alden, Ojan on the bench, and Alberto Moreno. There were options, you know, there were suitable options, but soon as there was injuries to the first team, those players were called into action, which meant the kids were back on the bench, and it just reminded me so much of the Brendan Rodgers era the, you know, the the Jürgen club season last season and you know that is a big concern because when you look at teams like Manchester United they don't have that problem but
1: we do uh, One more question before we let you go uh, Nina um, you mentioned the bench you mentioned Daniel Sturridge what's going wrong with them? I mean even even ex-Manchester United players I'm thinking of Rio Ferdinand they're starting to get annoyed with him and obviously he didn't come on last night for the Chelsea game with you know Liverpool needing to score a goal
3: yeah, I mean, again, um, uh, Daniel Sturridge is um, a player that gets a fair bit of criticism from Liverpool fans. You know, you either love him or love him, and I actually have a lot of time for Daniel Sturridge. I, I think, you know, he you won't get a better goal scorer than him, and you know, I I will not forget all you know all the goals that he scored and what he he does. I just think he's been very really unfortunate with the injuries, but I think. Due to the injuries, I think that has actually really cost Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. I don't think he quite trusts him. And when he actually plays him in that system, what it means is Firmino has to go out wide. And that's not Firmino's not great wide. So I think, and when he has been given the license to go and play, I'm talking about the Southampton game, you know, he had a few chances and he missed them. You know, people thinking, you know, he fails to get involved in the play. He's been accused of being lazy. He's not lazy. He just finds it really hard to fit into this and um, this um, uh, style of football of uh, attacking three. I think Daniel Sturridge prefers to play up two with another striker, and I don't think he fits the system. He might get better, right? But again, then you can look at it and say, well, he's actually not had an awful lot of game time with this team in this new setup. So really, can you blame the player?
1: That was Nina Kaiser from Anfield Index and this, Nico Durbin, yeah. is your time to shine. <laughs> Though you are feeling a bit sickly today.
2: No, I wouldn't use that word. No? No, no, no. You're
1: popping pills over there.
0: Ah, that's just... Podcast uh, no, tra- tradition. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> just a normal Berlin thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well it's been two rounds of fixtures uh, since the Bundesliga has come back. That's right. And I want to know what we've learned so far. Huh. I think, we, should we start with Sandro Wagner? <laughs> I think we want to start with Sandro Wagner. So last weekend it was him versus Timo Werner. Pretty much so, yeah. Uh, f- the two high-scoring German strikers in the Bundesliga this season. Yep. Um, obviously the uh, Orby Leipzig man came out on top. Yeah, good old Timo. Yeah, well, Timo's a bit boring, so let's talk about it, but let's talk about Sandro. <laughs> Well what's
2: there what's there to say? Um he saw <laughs> he <laughs> Where saw, do you start? He saw he saw a red card. Um again, it's not the first one of his career. He actually he actually um saw a red card for every team he played for, and that's been four in the Bundesliga. Um so he has quite the record there. Um
1: deserved red card too.
2: Um Although, actually, Yogi Löw, who has been in the stadium, um, protected him a little bit. He protected Sandro Wagner. What did he have to say? He said that, uh, you know, it was a duel and Sandro Wagner just wanted to win the duel. Mm -hmm. And it didn't look like uh, it was on purpose. That's what Yogi Löw
0: said. Yeah, he said he thought a yellow card would have been enough. Exactly. I'm... suspect oh. those quotes came out before he saw a replay of the tackle. Yeah. That was shin high.
1: It was shin high and uh, could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah, yeah. Um it was a bad one. That wasn't his only highlighter of Saturday,
0: was it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sandro Wagner?
0: Yeah, Sandro Wagner, yeah. Ian, what? I think I think you want to mention his fashion wear on a uh, on, on sports <laughs> studio, yeah. So he went on that's actual
1: sports studio. For yeah. those not in the know, it's Germany's equivalent of Match of the Day, with what can I can only describe as an aggressive look.
2: <laughs> well, he's uh, the aggressive leader. He of had Offenheim.
1: this. He had this silken woolen. Is it, I don't even know what material it was. It looked, I Guess it was wool. It looked wool polanic going on. All right. And it, I would, it was, he was doing this with a, you know, kind of dinner jacket and then these bright white shoes. Ah, nice. I'm and wearing he,
2: bright white shoes right now. You
1: are, and they look good. Thanks. Uh, but you've got more of that street feel going on, whereas he had, I don't know what he had going on. but he,
0: it, he, was, he was trying to cross R&B with a Bond villain vibe, a little think, bit. All right. That's yeah. not a bad look. But uh, this was something I wanted to say about Polonex. I
1: also noticed that Cristiano Ronaldo has been wearing polo necks Until lately. And Thierry Henry
0: yesterday, so I'm it's something to do with arrogant strikers. I think.
1: Wearing polo you, necks. you think Wagner is arrogant?
0: I think, <laughs> I think he might be. He
2: he said he said himself, sometimes, sometimes I just feel like a gladiator.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what he described himself as. Yeah, in the in the yeah. summer, he he came through the Bayern Munich youth ranks, and in the summer, he was basically linking himself with a return to Bayern Munich. <laughs> um, it, and, and when those rumours started to spread, he then did an interview and said, Bayern Munich's players aren't paid enough. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, yeah. Yeah, if that if that wasn't... I think recently, he scored the most goals in 2016 of any German player, I think 20 in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, keeping Darmstadt in the league and before moving to Hoffenheim. Obviously. And <laughs> he came out over the, the winter break and said, well, I'm the best German striker by a mile.
1: Well, there was there was two <laughs> yeah. fans in in the during the sports studio. There were two Hoffenheim fans in the second row wearing homemade Wagner for Germany t-shirts.
2: All all two of them Hoffenheim fans.
1: All two of those Hoffenheim fans. Yeah. How likely is it that he'll ever get a good chance at a, at a go for Germany?
2: Mm. I think if he would get a chance, he would have had it already. I don't really see him unless we have major injury problems um but he will be in the same he he must be in the same drawer as stefan Kiesling is. yeah 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 they're not getting a chance um, there's timo werner next probably
0: wagner was amazingly part of the that incredible under 21 side the one that smashed mm-hmm. england in the the euro under 21 final in 2009 missus and matt's hummels yeah and, it just seems odd to me that they wouldn't go for him um but he's 29 years old already uh Mario Gomez is obviously ahead of him if Germany even play with a number nine. We've seen yeah. that Horace or Müller or Goetze can play up front or have played up front for Jogilov's side. And then the Confederations Cup coming up in the summer is going to be more of a squad for the future. So mm. Werner... If no one else, maybe Kevin Forland will yeah. definitely be ahead of him.
2: Yeah. And and now maybe we see some uh, André Schürrle playing at Dortmund. First time he started with Reus and Aubameyang. Actually, this weekend. Nope. First time.
1: That is true. Dortmund were held to a draw last weekend to the fourth of their last five games.
0: Yeah, unbeaten in six.
1: Unbeaten in six. If and you this want is, to spin it another way. This is something I wanted to ask the both of you about. The former Dortmund defender, uh, Michael Schultz, uh, spoke apparently for a number of fans when he told Sky after the match that Thomas Tuchel is not club Klopp, Klopp, he doesn't really fit this club.
0: Mm-hmm. <sighs> there's a there's a big feeling in Dortmund, certainly, that Thomas Tuchel doesn't represent the club the way the fans feel about football or think about football or the the connection they have to the club as well. Whereas obviously Klopp with his 100% passion, aggression, jumping around is is very much how Dortmund fans like to see themselves.
2: It's also, I mean, Dortmund basically grew with that charisma that Klopp has over the last years. And he just completely... yeah basically created the, the, the emotions around that. Yeah,
0: and then the fans assimilated themselves with, with Klopp and exactly. the, identifi- the the identification coming out of the financial issues, the, the real yeah. identification, the identity of the club that was born, yeah. um, had Klopp thoroughly ingrained into it. I think Tuchel is different. I don't think he is a horrible fit for Dortmund, like mm-hmm. some would have you believe. Um, and I think to some extent... Dortmund fans um, and maybe even some of the club's hierarchy obviously very close to Klopp after such a long time, such success have to realise and accept that they can't just have a connection like they had with Klopp with every single manager it's not going to be like that and they shouldn't draw immediate comparisons
1: I have a question for you Nico given that um, Isaac was signed without Tuchel fully knowing yeah. given that there are these whispers of, of fan unrest, of possible boardroom unrest, d- do you think Tuchel is in any way fearful of no. his job? Probably not, right?
2: I don't think so. Um, Tuchel, Tuchel positioned himself really well during the sabbatical. Just, um, if you look at his record, you know, like he didn't win any titles in his career or whatever, you shouldn't forget that. Mm-hmm. But just The way he um, presents himself as a really scientific and intellectual coach, also in press conferences, like he's really, um, he has his way and there's no compromise about his way. Um, I just think that, like, the same way it is with fans to Tuchel, it's, it's also with the management to Tuchel. They just need to get used. Too, that there's not Jurgen Klopp down there anymore. Mm-hmm. But I also, I understand that, that some Dortmund fans are disappointed, but I don't know who else would be better for the job and who else would be better to build a team for a new era, you know? Like, you, you don't just start a new era in year one. Huh. It, it needs one, two years. Mm-hmm. And if he managed somehow to, to bring that team that he has right now uh, to the Champions League this mm-hmm. year, then that would be a major success.
1: Okay. They, of course, play Leipzig this weekend, who are 11 points ahead of them. And I've seen it described as a defining moment of Dortmund's season. Too over the top or?
2: I think so. I think they're they're not a team yet, like most of the competitors up there. Um, individually, they're very, very strong, or they can be very strong. Dortmund, you can, you even see youngsters like Pulisic. You know, like when he comes in, um, he he can make a difference. He can uh, score a goal himself. He can he can make an assist and so on. And you have that with many players. You have seen that with uh, Schurle, You have seen that with Royce. But they're not really clicking yet. So that's why it can be that one week they win and and they win by four goals, and the next week or the next five weeks they just draw. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the game against Leipzig. Um, I don't think... Dortmund so are at home, we should say. Dortmund are at home. I don't, unfortunately, don't see Dortmund winning this match either. Um, Leipzig, they just, they really know how to play. They um, will make it really hard for Dortmund, and Dortmund has to be aware of... Counter-attacks for 90 minutes, and mm-hmm. I don't think that this really suits
1: Dortmund. Leipzig, of course, brilliant on the road. Only Bayern have more points uh, yeah. than they do. Uh, speaking of Bayern, they play Schalke. In, is arguably the standard fixture of the weekend? Or we think Dortmund-Leipzig maybe a little bit yeah. better?
2: Yeah, I would watch Dortmund-Leipzig.
1: <coughs> Bayern-Schalke yeah. is not a bad one, though.
0: <laughs> we know Bayern are going to win. Sch- Schalke don't look great at the moment, and... Um have a fairly good history of not putting up much of a challenge for Bayern. I I guess the most interesting thing for Bayern will be if Thiago is back or not. They've won seven in a row since they lost to Dortmund, maybe eight. I think seven in a row since they lost to Dortmund. Seven
1: in the Bundesliga, but eight in their
0: uh, Ah, all-competitive games. There you go. Um, But in there, there have been some bad performances. Uh, and without Thiago, especially the the last two games against Freiburg, against Bremen, they've been really lucky to get out with all three points both times. Um, if he's not back, then I think Schalke could put up a fight. Um, but if he is in the midfield again, then Bayern should be fine.
1: Uh, Lewis mentions Freiburg. I have down in here in my notes that you wanted to talk about Freiburg for some reason.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just think uh, it's such such an incredible performance that yeah. they show. You know, they're not um, doing something like Leicester did last year yeah. <laughs> and playing for the Champions League, but there's just a consistency in the way they play. You know, they win 1-0, they draw 1-1, they win 2-1, they lose 2-1. It's it's most of the games, it's by one goal. And this way, they gathered their points and they're up 26 points, I think, right now. They're pretty much mid-table. Um, they're in front of uh, certainly, Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, Gladbach, Schalke, Schalke, Schalke Mainz. Uh, Mainz. And when I think about the the um, relegation challenge, Freiburg is not gonna drop no. down there because they're getting their points.
0: You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth mentioning that Freiburg. Um, or two things. Firstly, Freiburg they take the game to every opposition. They they don't turn up and sit back and try and nick a result against anyone. They play Bayern, they play Dortmund, they play Leipzig and they try and keep the ball. They try and press high up the pitch. It's attacking football, it's exciting and they get results with it. So they're not just yeah. doing it but they're doing it well. And the second point I'd like to mention is just that we've obviously seen in they're, they're at the top of the league almost um, and worth much of the Hinrunde. we've So we see a lot of prize for Leipzig but Freiburg came up with Leipzig last season. Leipzig over the last three years, their net transfer spend is £90 million and Freiburg have made a profit over the same period of almost £20 million. Mm. It's, that's incredible work. Absolutely yeah. incredible to then to be relegated, make a profit, come back up, make a profit and beat Leipzig to the league last season and then to be more than comfortable in the middle of the table. It's unbelievable. And
2: and all of that with a coach that even if you're German, you need subtitles <laughs> to understand him.
0: <laughs> a coach who turns up to press conferences in pajamas and stuff. Amazing. He, he has before, yeah. Nice. Christian Strauss. His all over the place. He, he cycles to work every day. He's just a bit of a wacky guy. Uh,
2: yeah, he's, he's a teacher.
1: Um,
0: that was his original profession. Yeah. Yep. C-
2: correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just like, I actually didn't look that up. But I think to remember that uh he's a teacher and he takes that so serious like i think actually he's teaching the players yeah. everything
1: yeah speaking of coaches with wild hair it's not working out so well for all torsten frings at the moment Ooh. is it you wanted to talk about this as well and i'm always happy to cope to uh, to talk about torsten can i teacher, can i
0: just butt in while we've mentioned torsten frings because i don't know if you guys have watched breaking bad yeah but, um, it's no, been I've not in, seen Breaking it's Bad. It's been in the news today that the bad guy in Breaking Bad, Gustavo Fring, is named after Torsten Frings. What? A writer was speaking and was asked something and asked about yeah. names of characters and Gus Fring came up and he said, well, there was a Bundesliga player called Frings and that's sort of how he came about.
1: Yeah. Uh, these Breaking Bad conversations go over my head.
0: So. Oh, I just thought I'd let you in on that.
1: Okay, yeah. Interesting. Is that what you wanted to say about Torsten Frings?
2: Uh, (laughs) Well, I would have mentioned it actually, but I I didn't really, I never finished Breaking Bad, so um, it was definitely better that
1: you lose. After um, the second season, ah, just, yeah. It's just like this, all of a sudden he's a science teacher and he's blown up labs. just didn't seem, I know it's TV and you got to suspend a certain amount of reality, but even still, anyway.
2: Anyways, um, De Lucha, Torsten Frings, that's his nickname. Um, he he gained that nickname when he was playing next to Michel Balak in the the national team Um, yeah unfortunately it's not really working out too well for him Um, and you know he he was at Bremen before as an assistant coach it was a hard time already and then he gets that opportunity to, to be head coach but of Darmstadt I don't really know what their agreement was like it's really tough to to start with your first head coach job for a team that's so far down the table.
1: And they're going down. And they're going
2: down. It's not Hamburg, you know, like Mm. even Hamburg. Like if I were to consult a coach, whether or not to go to Hamburg, I would say, hell no, (laughs) never, never. But Darmstadt, that's that's tough. You know, it's uh, courageous, I'd say.
1: Okay. Well, yesterday also saw the close of the transfer window in Germany. There were some interesting moves. And there's one I primarily want to talk to you about because Paddy Higgs has warned me you have some interesting stuff to say about it. And that is Bojan Kurchic and (laughs) his move to Mainz where he's going to replace Eunice Malley, who's done one to, to Wolfsburg. Yeah. Now you think, I could be wrong, but you think this is a bad move by Martin Schmidt.
2: Yeah, I do think so. I mean, if you look at the table, first of all, Mainz is seven points ahead of Ingolstadt. Um, So seven points ahead of the relegation. So that seems all right. But then still, Yunus Mali was, for me, their... Uh, their the, the core of their midfield. It's their playmaker. And he had a really rough start into the season. Uh, but towards the end of the year, like he was playing really, really well. And more importantly, he was scoring goals and he was assisting goals. Mm-hmm. And he started doing the same now for Wolfsburg. Yes, Wolfsburg lost last weekend against Augsburg. But still, it was his free kick coming in, um, leading to the goal from Gomez. So it's just really, really hard to replace such a player um in the middle of the season first of all so mm-hmm. i was i was surprised that they would let him go and it's not that much money on top of that um for a player that was also in talks to join maybe Dortmund, et cetera. Um, and then to to take to get somebody on loan they, they don't have an option to buy him um is for me always a bad sign um Especially for a club for a club like Mainz who managed to do really sustainable business over the years um, and they never never bought a, a name player. They never had to you know they bought talents and they basically integrated them into the team over a year or two and now all of a sudden they're buying a name player he has to perform from match one and all that.
1: <sighs> Bojan. Bojan to me is one of the most fascinating modern footballers. Why is that? Well, he was an absolute star at underage for uh, Barcelona. For, for Barcelona. Yeah. When he was, he had some like ridiculous thing. He joined the club at nine and within seven years he'd scored like 850 goals for the underage team. Like an absolute legend. He made his Champions League debut at 17 when he was still studying for his exams. Came out, I scored the winner in a quarter final having been set up by Thierry Henry. I mean, like really astounding stuff. He, he was, he beat Lionel Messi's record as the youngest player to score in the league of Fort Barca by eight and a half months. He was called up to the Spain squad for for Euro 2008. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he went from this 16-year-old nobody, literally La Masia uh, player, to not being able to go to the cinema, not being able to go to, like, birthday parties. And he just, like, despite having this immense amount of talent, this immense amount of skill, having all of these people around him to help him, he just and I mean this in a nice way he just mentally hasn't been able to cope with it yeah and that's, that's what happened with barcelona the same thing happened at uh, at roma and at milan and ajax he would perform in 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 kind of patches here and there but just couldn't do it couldn't reproduce that brilliance uh, on a on a on a consistent basis yeah and I, I think it's 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 a mental thing basically for Bojan.
2: That's 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 possible i'm not even saying that he has not what it takes to help Mainz. That's not even what I'm saying. Like, it's not a bad transfer uh, per se to, to get Boyan uh, Krikic mm-hmm. on board for Mainz. I just don't think that they, that the whole structure of the contract and so on, it doesn't it's, seem
0: really yeah, sustainable. It's a bit of an odd one, but I, yeah. I would imagine that, um, as we say, as you said, loan without an option to buy him outright at the end of the season. I imagine that, Mainz, who aren't really in danger of going down, kind of want to get to the end of the season and then <laughs> I do, well, Uruven Schroeder has done a really good job since replacing Christian Heidel as the sporting director um, and I think maybe Bojan you had to replace Eunice Malley somehow maybe didn't want to commit a transfer fee on a player they weren't sold on um, so got yeah. someone in on loan someone who we all know you've just gone on about, mm-hmm. uh, has quality uh, not the Champions League level player we thought you would be but a player who has a reliable level of quality to replace Mali in the squad they stay up and it gives you six months to scout for an actual replacement for Yunus Mali without committing any money now
2: fair, fair, fair enough I mean I, I actually do like Mainz and I would like to see it work and I would like to see exactly that idea working that they just win some time to scout somebody we'll we'll see um, while we're talking about transfer stuff If I can chip one thing in Can I
1: just tell you my I, I've got a really fun fact about Bojan That I want to tell you And then I'll there let you go. do it Okay he, Maybe they bought I was sort of thinking that Maybe they bought him for his baking skills <laughs> He <laughs> No he, well, You say no He won Stokes in-house Best Baker competition ah. in 2015 The contest was judged By no less a person than British Bake Off Judge Paul Hollywood No and Bojan's triple layer strawberry and cream sponge <laughs> confectionery saw him win the title the
0: great Bojan Bakoff
1: the great Bojan Bakeoff. now that I've got that out of the way I've been dying to tell people that all week that's good okay.
0: now I want to know more well I'd to like to pictures. taste this cake
1: of course Bojan has a very strict diet and doesn't eat cake <laughs> so I don't know who he bakes for Maybe he'd love to be his roommate it'd be great to be his roommate
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> Anyway, you wanted to talk serious things.
2: Yeah, no, because we, we talked about the transfer in yeah. um, the Premier League and how dull they were and nothing really happened, right? And usually that's how it is in Germany as well. And there were no amazing transfers either in Germany, but for some reason clubs um, bought a lot of talents this winter. And that's a pattern that I wasn't aware of that way before. Um you know you see Wolfsburg obviously they bought a lot of players but they're buying in Tep, for example now in the winter break you see Bazur um, as well Bazur as well you see Leverkusen buying Leon Belly you see Hamburg buying Wallace for almost 10 million <laughs> do you <laughs> sorry think, I'm laughing a little bit here but just
0: do lying. you do you think with sales like Firmino for example Carrius now uh, going to the Premier League do you think German clubs have seen a real profitable market for <laughs> signing guys before they really explode on a, on a and then maybe a bit more outlay for a player than they'd have signed a couple of years ago for most of the Bundesliga clubs Yeah, but they know that there's a big chance that if they're a success they can sell them for two, three times the money to an English club in a couple of years time yeah
2: I think so Yeah, I think so. But also, um, if you really, and obviously I forgot Isak to Dortmund uh, on that list. Um, What I thought was, my gut feeling was, is that now they might even be a bit cheaper to buy than in the summer transfer window when everybody uh, is spending uh, the big money you know mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you have a rumor in the summer transfer window and uh, the big clubs start throwing serious money around and maybe you're not able to to get him for 10 12 million but all of a sudden uh, Martin Odegaard style um, you have all the big
1: clubs um, chasing
2: this this kid
1: okay so well, i think this could be the reason well, we could talk about transfers all day but some of us have to uh, get back to work so that's that's all from us today. My thanks to Nico, Lewis, Nina and our producer, Damien. Wherever you are in the world, please go to your local iTunes store, give us a rating and leave a comment to let us know what you think of the pod. And thanks for listening.